0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, August 25th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, Birdsong offers meditative music to people who are blind from the New York Times and Which arm to vaccinate matters, from USA Today. Plus, when updated COVID vaccine is expected to become available, and who should get it, from ABC News. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Birdsong offers a distinctly resonant and meditative music to the ears of people who are blind, by Alexandra Marvar, from The New York Times. For some birders, listening is everything. Being blind or having low vision is no obstacle for those devoted to the pursuit. On an average morning, Susan Glass can sit on the patio at her condominium complex in Saratoga, California, and identify as many as 15 different bird species by ear. A Stellar's jay, an acorn woodpecker, an oak titmouse. For her, birding is more than a hobby. Birds are my eyesight, said Ms. Glass, a poet and a professor of English at West Valley Community College, who has been blind since birth. When I check into a hotel in Pittsburgh, I might remember the rock dove and the house finch in the parking lot, rather than the architecture, she said. Ms. Glass, who's 67, was a child when she first noticed the birds twittering outside her family's home on the Lake Erie coast of Michigan. My mother told me they were a swallow called the Purple Martin, she said. I was paying attention to where they were flying, and I could actually start to hear the dimensions of our little cabin, the screen porch, the front yard, she said. She has mapped her surroundings by birdsong ever since. Birding got a significant boost with the pandemic. With so many people doing less, they tuned in to the sounds of nature more and with lockdowns came a reduction in noise pollution, which made the bird calls all the more pronounced. Dr. Sarah Korchesny, a Massachusetts Audubon program ornithologist in Newburyport, attributes the increased interest in birding partly to the fact that it's a way for people of all abilities to tap into nature, whether by eye, by ear, or both. As the birding community grows larger and more diverse, Dr. Kurchesny said, birding clubs and conservation organizations are thinking more about accessibility, and this is changing the way they talk about birding and think about it. For one thing, the terminology is evolving. According to Freya McGregor, a 35 year old birder and occupational therapist specializing in blindness and low vision, the term birder was once reserved for those who were more serious than the hobbyist bird watcher. But increasingly, birder is becoming a catch all thanks to a growing awareness that some hobbyists identify birds exclusively by listening. All persons trails. Spaces are evolving too. Nature trails from Cape Cod to the Colombian Andes are being reimagined, with features like wheelchair-accessible terrain and guardrails to guide guests with low vision. The Massachusetts Audubon Society recently introduced a series of all-persons trails, which are designed for accessibility. Public programming is also expanding. Birding organizations across the country are introducing a new kind of bird walk, one called a Big Sit where you just stay put. These stationary birding events, made popular by the New Haven Birding Club in the early 1990s, is a type of competitive event, sometimes hosted as a fundraiser, in which teams of birders stay within their own 17-foot diameter circles for 24 hours and identify as many birds as possible. In May, Dr. Korchesny hosted a big sit alongside Jerry Berrier, a blind birder on an all-persons trail near Ipswich, Massachusetts. Mr. Berrier, who lives in Malden, Massachusetts, said he wanted his event to be less competitive and more meditative than a traditional bird sit. While some studies have shown that simply hearing birdsong may alleviate anxiety and boost feelings of well-being, Mr. Berrier age 70, said the benefits went beyond that for him. Birding gives me a connection with a world I can't see, he said, including when the world outside is waking up in the morning and winding down at dusk. He doesn't even need to step outside to listen. Mr. Berrier's home is surrounded by an audio mixer and sound recording equipment, parabolic microphones and devices he has custom-made, piping in bird sounds from the outdoors in real time and recording bird song in quieter environments. At the Ipswich Bird Sit, Mr. Berrier pointed people to the resonant song of an ovenbird, the buzzy trills of warblers, and the flute-like notes of a Baltimore Oriole, which sometimes sounds like it's saying... Hear here, come right here, dear. When teaching newcomers how to distinguish birds by ear, mister Berrier often shares mnemonics. For the Eastern Toey, he said, Listen for a bird that tweets drink your tea. The American Robin sounds like it's singing cheer up, cheerily. The Northern Cardinal might be saying "Watch here, Botch here. American goldfinches call potato chip in flight. While olive-sided flycatchers chirp, quick, three beers! Mr. Berrier has been birding since the 1970s when he was in college at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. There, a professor gave him a special assignment to replace the dissection-based portion of his biology course. He ended up giving me probably one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given to me by recommending that I listen to his record albums from Cornell University that had bird sounds on them, Mr. Berrier said. He said, I want you to listen to these during the semester, and at the end, your lab portion of the grade is going to be based on a walk in the woods with me, and I will ask you to identify some of the sounds you hear, he said. At first, Mr. Berrier found it daunting to distinguish bird species in the wild just by their sounds. I just thought, man, these birds all sound the same, he said. But by the end of the semester, I was hooked, and I've been doing it ever since, he said. During these early outings, Mr. Berrier identified cardinals with their laser-like trills, robins with their cheery twittering, and red-winged blackbirds whose call he still thinks of as a harbinger of spring. A bird heard. For birders looking to expand their life list of every bird they've ever spotted, knowing these calls can be indispensable. The American Birding Association's rules for identifying a bird species make no qualitative distinction between a bird heard and a bird seen. Trevor Attenberg, a scientist and writer who is blind and lives in Portland, Oregon, pointed out there were plenty of birds you had far less chance of seeing than hearing. Something like 60 to 70 percent of the birds that you will encounter, you will only be able to encounter by ear, Mr. Attenberg said. I'm always listening to what kind of birds I can hear in any given environment whenever I step outside, and it tells me so much, he said. It tells me about the weather and the seasons. It tells me about this specific landscape that I'm in. Even when I'm in urban environments, it can tell me about the quality of habitat, he said. Learning the percentage of birds that one might only ever have a chance to identify by ear gave Mr. Attenberg, age 40, more confidence. It's indicating to me, as the blind birder, uncertain as to my place in science, that I can actually compete with other ornithologists that can spot birds through binoculars and so forth, which I can't really do, he said. Learning that, in fact, such a large share of possible bird detections are only going to come through the ear tells me that, Well, there is room for blind people and people that just enjoy using their ears for listening or collecting information to learn about birds in this way, he said. Birders don't need to memorize every call. Birding apps like BirdNet or the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Merlin Bird ID can record bird sounds in the wild and help a listener identify the species but the notion of a bird herd is becoming increasingly imperiled as noise pollution brings about fundamental changes in the way nature sounds. Ornithologists have reported birds changing the tenor of their calls as they strain to be audible over the din of human-made noise, whether it's crypto mining or just the everyday sounds of leaf blowers or car traffic. Ms. Glass, the poet in California, said she had noticed that, over time, there were fewer bird sounds altogether. There is no longer, in my part of the world, what you would call a dawn chorus, an overwhelming bird chorus that drowns out everything else, she said. Bird song ebbs and flows with the seasons, peaking during migrations. But studies indicate that as bird populations decline, bird song is declining too. Identifying 5,400 Species Michael Herbin, who's 56, hopes to document what he can while he can. Because of a degenerative retina disease, his field of view has narrowed over time from 180 degrees to, he estimates, less than one-tenth of that. So Mr. Herbin, a retired engineer who lives in Bloomington, Minnesota, has doubled down and is on his way to identifying 5,400 different birds, about half of the world's bird species. I just want to be able to say that i have identified the majority, he said. He and his wife, Claire Strohmeyer, who is also 56 and is a clinical researcher, have visited dozens of international destinations to check rare species off the list. But a narrow scope makes searching for a bird in a tree or spotting it through binoculars especially challenging. This makes Mr. Herbin's ability to identify birds by ear essential. He has brushed up on his skills online and by birding by ear with other birders, including Mr. Berrier, who joined Mr. Herbin on a trip to Cape May, New Jersey last year. Mr. Herbin finds it increasingly difficult to hear certain birdsong, like the very high-pitched calls of the colorful cedar waxwing. Before we go on a trip, I will try to really study the calls ahead of time, he said. While some calls do require a mnemonic to remember, others are very distinctive. He cited the screaming piha, a bird he and his wife trekked into the Amazon to identify. Its unique call is a go-to for sound designers when making films set in jungles, he said. You can listen for it in Werner Herzog's 1972 film, Gare Wrath of God. Likewise, another South American bird, the sharp bill, has a call that sounds like a falling bomb, Mr. Herbin said. I hear that song once, and I'll never forget it the rest of my life, he said. Up next, choosing which arm to offer for vaccination matters. The data shows those using the same side see better response. By Adriana Rodriguez from USA Today. When you roll up your sleeve to get routine vaccinations, do you prefer a jab in your right or left arm? New data suggests the choice you make matters. Researchers in Germany found people who got all their shots in one arm had a stronger immune response than those who distributed shots between both arms, according to a study published in eBiomedicine, a peer-reviewed journal from The Lancet Discovery Science. In the observational study authors analyzed immune responses from about 300 people who had never had COVID-19 and who received two doses of Pfizer-BioNTech's COVID-19 vaccine between March and September of 2021. Study participants were randomized to receive both doses in one arm or the second dose in the opposite arm. Two weeks after receiving the shots, researchers discovered certain immune cells, which commonly are known as killer T-cells, were detected in 67% of people who received both injections in the same arm versus only 43% of those who got them in different arms. Why are shots in the same arm more effective? People may respond better to sequential shots in the same arm because the vaccines are targeting the same lymph nodes, making them more active in producing immune cells to fight off infections, authors suggest. While researchers detected a difference in these cells, they didn't see a similar trend in protein antibodies. Although preliminary and small, the study shows how the reason why some people react differently to vaccines could go further than just age, sex, and medical conditions, said Dr. Ofer Levy, director of the Precision Vaccines Program at Boston Children's Hospital. This speaks to precision vaccination in the sense that everything matters, said Levy, who is not affiliated with the study. More research and data is needed, but he says the study's findings could have implications for vaccines outside of COVID-19 and help standardize how routine vaccinations are given. We need to be precise about how we discover, develop and deliver vaccines, Levy said. Up next... Updated COVID Vaccine Likely to be Available Mid-September by Ann Flaherty from ABC News. The updated COVID vaccine should become available in mid-September, along with a likely recommendation that everyone should get the booster shot, U.S. health officials said this week. The timeline was laid out by officials with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Food and Drug Administration in a briefing with reporters. Vaccination is going to continue to be key this year because immunity wanes and because the COVID-19 virus continues to change, a CDC official said. For those reasons, vaccines remain the best protection against hospitalization and death, and in the case of the COVID vaccines, they also help reduce the likelihood of long COVID, the official said. Only 56 million Americans, or about 17% of the population, have received an updated booster, according to the CDC. That's compared to the close to 81% of Americans who completed the primary doses. The good news is that 97% of individuals in the U.S. ages 16 and over have protective immunity from COVID 19, either through vaccination, prior infection, or both that immunity has translated into fewer hospitalizations. While COVID hospitalizations in the U.S. have been on the rise in recent weeks, levels are still three times lower than the same time last year, and six times lower than in 2021 after the first vaccines rolled out. An FDA official told reporters that it's likely that older individuals and those who are immunocompromised might need to get more than one vaccine, similar to current recommendations. Many healthcare providers recommend that people 65 and over get a second dose a few months after the initial shot to boost immunity. Officials also will be recommending annual flu shots for the general population and RSV shots for certain vulnerable populations. Advisors to the CDC are scheduled to meet later in September to discuss recommendations on the updated vaccine. Up next, the number one carb to help you poop, according to a dietitian, by Gabby McPherson, MS, RDN, LDN, from Eating Well. Poop happens, but when it doesn't, you may experience pain, strain, and downright discomfort. Sound familiar? Well, you're not alone. Constipation is super common. In fact, nearly half of all adults in the U.S. experience it, according to the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. These toilet troubles can leave you desperate for a real solution. And this food just might be it. Split peas. That's right. They top the list of carbs that can, um, get things moving again. Sure, carbohydrates often get side-eye. Aren't they supposed to be bad for you? But hear us out, because this particular type of carb delivers many nutrients that could relieve constipation and benefit your overall health. Peas are one of the most popular veggies of all time, and your mom probably wasn't shy about making you eat them for good reason. This veg is actually a seed that comes from the Pissum sativum plant, Some types are wrinkly, like garden peas, or smooth, like dry peas. They can also have their outer layer removed, be split into two parts, and become, voila, split peas. And whether you eat them in green or yellow form, split peas can be your number one go-to when pooping gets too hard, literally. Why are split peas the best carbs to help you poop? Split peas can help ease constipation in several ways— For one, they're teeming with fiber, a must-have nutrient for constipation relief. They're especially rich in soluble fiber, which draws a lot of water into your gastrointestinal tract, helping to make your stool a normal consistency so pooping is more comfortable. Fact 2021 research from Nutrients shows that normal poop is about 74% water, while hard, constipation poop is less than 72% water, so increasing the hydration in your stool could be a very good thing. Split peas also contain insoluble fiber, a kind that increases water absorption, stool bulk, and intestinal regulation. All of these factors can make it easier to have bowel movements, according to a 2021 review of studies published in the journal Legume Science. A one-cup serving of cooked split peas contains 16 grams of total dietary fiber, getting you closer to the 25 to 34 grams that the 2020 to 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommend adults get each day. Just remember that upping your fiber intake too much too quickly can worsen constipation. So be sure to drink lots of water and slowly add more fiber to your diet over time to keep things moving. Split peas also contain another type of fiber known as resistant starch, aptly named because it resists digestion in your small intestines. Once they reach your colon, resistant starches are broken down and fermented by your gut bacteria, producing short-chain fatty acids, including one called butyrate. Butyrate functions as an energy source for your intestinal lining, and it may act on cells involved in regulating gut motility, making it easier for stool to move through your intestines a process controlled by the enteric nervous system, according to a 2021 review of studies published in the journal Nutrients. Resistant starches have prebiotic powers as well, meaning they feed your good gut bacteria and promote better microbiome health, which has been linked to regularity. Poor gut health has the opposite effect, according to a 2019 review published in the journal Frontiers in Medicine. Additionally, a 2017 review published in the American Journal of Medical Sciences that included five randomized control trials found that consuming prebiotic foods like split peas increased weekly stool frequency in adults with constipation. And the benefits don't end there. Split peas have one of the highest amounts of protein in the legume family, with 16 grams per cup of cooked While protein doesn't help constipation directly, it's one of the food groups you might want to skip when you're backed up and feeling bloated and full. But going without food can drain your energy, and the complex carbs that peas deliver can counter that fatigue without feeling like you're eating something heavy. Plus, they're inexpensive, accessible in most stores, and can hang around for a long time in your pantry. What's the best way to eat split peas when you're constipated? One way to enjoy this legume is to whip up a batch of split pea soup in your crock pot. You can also opt to chill the soup and slow sip it like a constipation-fighting tonic. Split peas also pair nicely with rice, a food that might sound good when you have belly trouble. You can blitz split peas into hummus and add fiber-rich chia seeds, which can also help you poop. Eat it with whole-grain pita crackers for a crunchy snack or pair it with high-water foods like cucumber or bell pepper strips to promote hydration and softer stools. Also, consider adding cold, plain split peas to a fruit smoothie. Here are some other carbs that may help you poop. Lentils. A cousin of split peas, lentils offer 15 grams of fiber per one-cup serving and make an easy substitute if split peas aren't your favorite. Navy beans, also in the legume family, provide 15 grams of fiber per cooked one-cup serving. Oats. Like split peas, oats are loaded with soluble fiber, which could help relieve constipation. A half cup of uncooked oats has eight grams of fiber. Pears. Carb-rich fruits can help you poop, too, so consider adding pears into your eating routine. They have fiber and sorbitol, which acts as a natural laxative. Here's the, um, bottom line. While no one food is a guaranteed solution for your bottom problems, a helpful strategy is to eat an overall healthy, balanced diet with plenty of dietary fiber from foods like split peas and get plenty of water and exercise. Up next, TV binges increase clot risk from Consumer Reports on Health. People who watched TV for four hours or more a day had a 35% higher risk for blood clots in their lungs or deep leg veins compared with those who watched less than two and a half hours, according to an analysis of three studies. Prolonged sitting may encourage clots by boosting inflammation and the risk of obesity and high blood pressure and slowing blood flow from your legs back to your heart. Getting up and moving around frequently may help. And the source is the European Journal of Preventive Cardiology. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling three zero three seven eight six seven 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 If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 7777